Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, this is Paul Gray saying thanks for being with me. Once again, we're going to talk about some things today that I think will encourage you and inspire you and just generally put you in a better mood, I hope. Today, I want to talk about the all-good God that I know. I'm titling this, Let's Have a Party. Come and celebrate with me. I want to tell you about the all-good God that I know, the only true God, as Jesus calls his Father, who is pure, light, love, joy, peace, grace, and goodness, who is always for you, who included you before creation to be in his all-inclusive family forever. And today, I want you to know he invites you to his party to celebrate with him. Today, we're going to focus on the good, positive attributes of God because there are no bad, negative attributes of the only true God. Once you personally and intimately know the all-good God, you'll never want to hear any more false representations of a God who doesn't even exist. Let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me. That sounds like a great invitation, doesn't it? Who said that? Do you know? Jesus said that. Who did he say it to? Do you know? We're going to look at that. When Jesus said that, he was talking about somebody else who said, let's have a party, come and celebrate with me. Who did he indicate was the one who really said, let's have a party, come and celebrate with me? Do you know? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables, back to back to back. Parables are stories that tell the truth through a story that isn't necessarily true. The story may or may not have happened, but the truth is true and real. And you all know by now that we continually get progressive revelation from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit even uses Scripture to do that. Scripture includes words written about God. Jesus himself is the capital W, Word of God, the living Word of God, who is in you and me today. Now, I've taught on Luke 15 many times, almost every pastor and teacher has, but I've recently come to see that what these three stories are really all about are celebrating, joy, partying. That's what they're about. Jesus uses three characters in the story who each represent God. One is a shepherd representing God. The other is a woman representing God. The other is father representing God. A God who shockingly gave unconditional love and broke all the religious rules 
and enjoyed it in the process. All three were into parties, drinking and music and dancing and celebrating and making merry. Shockingly, the Pharisees talked about this to start with. In this passage in Luke 15, they were shocked that Jesus would eat and party and drink and celebrate and enjoy people who they didn't think were worthy. And they called those folks sinners. Pharisees and religious people tend to use that word sinner a lot. You know, I don't think they know what it means. You use that word a lot, but I don't think you know what it means. Some of you know the movie that comes from. I got some great new insight from my friend Malcolm Smith on this this week. He's taught a lot about on Luke 15, and he's written a great book called This Son of Mine. But he said he got some new insight on that this week, and he shared it with me and a few thousand other people. These stories are about divine rejoicing. The early church had a name for that. They called it perichoresis, which means like a choreographed dance, a circle dance, celebrating, enjoying, perichoresis, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this eternal triune circle dance of love and all its many expressions. Jesus is talking in this passage to two groups of lost people who were all, quote, sinners, unquote. Again, we use that word sinners a lot. I don't think we know what it means. We're going to find out today. Both groups were, quote, sinners. The word sin, sinner, comes from a couple of Greek words, ha and meros, which means without form. Combined, they form the Greek word harmartia. It means missing, literally, here's what it meant. And the first church understood this. It means missing the mark of one's original blueprint identity, having forgotten who God is and their inclusion of us in their unconditional love family. That's what Adam and Eve forgot in the garden. Everybody forgot that until Jesus. Jesus came and revealed the truth to it. What religion calls sin is to them behavior that they believe is like kryptonite to God. Well, actually, the behavior happens as a result of forgetting who God is and our inclusion. It's the result, but it's not the issue. What religion calls sin has no bearing on the original word, has no bearing on God's relationship to us whatsoever. Religion talks about sin as being behavior. And did you ever notice, did you ever think about this? Only religion talks about sin. You don't hear that word anywhere else in society. Unless there are a bunch of religious people at a coffee shop, <laughs> you don't hear the word sin. You don't hear it in the marketplace. You don't hear it in government. You don't hear it in academia. You don't hear it at the soccer field. You don't hear it at the restaurant. You don't hear it at the dance on Saturday night. Only religion talks about sin. They use that word a lot. I don't think they know what it means. All right, in this story, according to the religious folks, sinners were people who had been told they were sinners and believed God couldn't stand them and punish them because the religious people told them that. The second group were the Pharisees, the religious people, who were also sinners, using the current definition, who didn't think they were sinners, 
but they thought they were righteous with God because of what they believed and how they behaved. They didn't really think God would punish them, but they were confident God was going to punish everybody else who wasn't like them because, you know, they didn't do what they did. They thought God was especially going to punish the sinners sitting a few feet feet from them in this story that Jesus was partying with. And they thought God was going to especially punish Jesus for claiming to be a rabbi, a religious leader, and eating with sinners. They thought, well, (laughs) oh man, both groups were equally lost, just like the sheep and the coin and the two boys. Neither group and neither boy had joy. Now, the quote sinners, unquote people, the tax collectors and prostitutes and stuff, they were much closer to joy than the religious folks, and that's true today. At the beginning of the story, the quote sinners, unquote, were happy. They were happy because Jesus was hanging out with them and loving them and celebrating with them and accepting them. Happiness comes from happenings. They were happy. Joy comes from relationships based on unconditional love, value, and acceptance. At the beginning of the story, the sinners and the other sinners who didn't think they were sinners, the religious elite, they were mad and unhappy. And they got progressively more unhappy and madder and madder when they found out how good and gooder God is. first story was about the sheep. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but it says, Once there was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. The sheep didn't know it was lost, and while it was lost, it retained its full value. Otherwise, the shepherd wouldn't have gone looking for it. So the text says, and I'm using the Passion Translation here, the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for the one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders as close as he could get it to him and carried it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, Let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it, and I brought it home. Jesus continued when he told that. He said, In the same way, there will be glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost, and I'm going to put it in quote, sinner, unquote, who repents, changes his mind, comes back home and returns to the fold, more so than for all the, and I'm going to put it in quotes, righteous, unquote, people who never strayed away, people who thought they were righteous. Brian Simmons, the translator of the Passion, says this in the footnote, what a wonderful picture this shepherd's joy gives us of our good shepherd. He doesn't beat the lost sheep for wandering away. He raises it up and carries it home. That story is about joy. It's about union restored. It's about separation canceled. Second story, the lost coin. This is a woman. And Brian Simmons, again in the footnote, says, Jesus used the woman in this parable as a metaphor for God. And he says a female image of God would incite anger from the Pharisees. It's, I mean, Jesus knows these folks are going to get mad. In essence, what he's doing is he's messing with them. He's telling stories. He's messing with them to try to prove a point to them. 
When she finally, finally found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I've found it. And Jesus goes on to say, that's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all of his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for the one who was lost I had found. Do you know what an angel is? An angel, what the original word means is a messenger from God. There's nothing, no indication in Scripture about harps and robes and uh, any of that kind of stuff. Have you ever seen an angel? You have. Have you ever been in the presence of an angel? I'm here to tell you, you have. We're going to come back to angels or messengers at the end of this. All right, the third story is about two boys. In this parable, God reveals himself as the extravagant father who forgives his wayward son. The boy breaks every religious rule of the day. The Pharisees who were listening to this would have gotten madder and madder and more and more appalled as Jesus went on. He broke every religious rule, almost all of the Ten Commandments and the other 603 commandments of Moses. Then, when he hits bottom and comes to his senses, he remembers he has a father. He once had a home. He still doesn't have a correct understanding of his father or his own blueprint origin. That is the real definition of sin, forgetting and missing the mark of who God is and who you are. When he comes home, the father's looking for him, and the father embraces him, won't even let him ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an issue with the father. He doesn't even mention his bad behavior. Bad behavior wasn't an issue with the father. He totally accepts him, makes sure he knows he's restored to what he thought he'd lost. Let me say that again. Folks, this is good news, and this is absolutely shocking news to religion. This blew the minds of the Pharisees and made them really mad because they didn't think God was like that. Listen to this. The father embraces him, won't let him even ask for forgiveness, doesn't mention his bad behavior, totally accepts him, and makes sure he knows he's restored to what he thought he'd lost. Then he says, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was dead, spiritually dead, not physically dead, but now he's alive. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone, almost, celebrated with overflowing joy. And we learn in the story, I'm not going to read it to you, they killed the fatted calf, they had the best food, they had the best wine, they had the best music. It was, it was a party. These stories, these three stories in Luke 15 are about joy and celebration, perceived separation, moving to the reality of restoration. That's what they were celebrating. Perceived lostness, perceived perception to the reality of restoration, it being restored. There are a lot of ones, O-N-E-S, in this story. One sheep, one coin, one prodigal, one religious older brother. All right, Luke 15 defines sin and hell. The older brother put himself in a hell of his own making. Religion says that people are born sinners, and sin has to do with behavior. Both of those are lies. 
Again, sin is only used in religious settings, nowhere else in society. Think about that. Religion says, we got trouble right here in River City. You were born a sinner, and you sin. If you're not sinning right now, you will. And God's angry with you about that, and he separated from you because of that. And here's what you got to do to appease and placate the angry God and get back into right standing with him. And we've got the answers for you. Now, let's pass the collection plate. Jesus shows in these stories the good news that sin was not a problem with God. There was no separation with God. See, if you do what religion has done there, if you make up a problem that doesn't exist and repeat it often enough and long enough, people will believe it's true. Then when they believe it's true, you can control them and extort money from them to solve their problems that they don't even have. Sin What the original word meant is simply being lost to relationship. And then bad behavior, which is a result of sin, but not sin, is a result of believing that you're lost to relationship and believing that you can get your needs met and be happy and fulfilled by doing what you want to do. Sin is perceived broken relationship. The sheep and the shepherd, the coin and the owner, the son and the father. It was perceived but it wasn't true. All belonged. The shepherd said, my sheep. The woman said, my coin. The father said, my son and my other son. See, none of them didn't matter. They all had their original value. You can't be lost if you never belong somewhere to begin with. The concept of divine belonging, the concept of divine belonging and the ownership God having ownership of lost people is offensive to religion. Something or someone who is lost, which religion doesn't yet understand, is still owned and still has value. The sheep and the coins in the sun were still owned. They still had value. The woman still owned that coin. It was her coin. It was dirty. It was dusty. It was covered up. It might have have been beaten up or deformed or whatever, but she was still the owner of it. It just wasn't with her in relationship at the moment. It had no value from a human standpoint because it was out of circulation, but it had great value to her. The son might have been, quote, lost, filthy, covered with muck and pig stuff and apparently of no value because they were out of circulation, but they still had great value to the owner, to the father. Both boys' sin was their mental condition. Now, I want to look at something that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 17 to 25. He says, With the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say this, You should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions or opinions, futility of their mindset. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God, who God is. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. Sin is a result of a faulty mindset. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you, Paul says. If you've really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from 
delusions, false mindset. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within you as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness, and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So discard every form of dishonesty and lying. I want you to get this. Discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth, for we all belong to one another. Dishonesty and lying that he's talking about is about who God is, what God is like, who we are and who everybody else is. It's about talking about Adam's false, angry God like he's the true God. The dishonesty and lying is saying that there's a hell and that we're separated from God. All of that's dishonest and lying. It's blinded understanding, Paul says, and deep-seated darkness. See, darkness, sin, is having the wrong opinion of God, yourself, and others, and then you're deluded. You have the wrong opinion, the wrong mindset. That's missing the mark. It's not moral behavior. It all flows from a wrong mindset. Now, many people were taught that that younger son, and I used to teach this too, repented in a religious sense. He didn't. Metanoia means a radical change of mind. My friend Malcolm Smith won't even use the gross mistranslation repent anymore. The younger son did begin to lose his old mindset, to die to it. And when we do that, we renew our mind to the mind of Christ. We realize what we believed is wrong, we reject it, and we replace it with the truth. And the father helped him see what the truth was. See, the gospel is not about you or me doing good or doing bad or trying or not trying. It's about incarnation and unconditional love and God pursuing and seeking and accepting and including and revealing our value and worth to us. It's God relentlessly seeking the loss, reminding us that we are included and accepted and that he's all good. His unlimited passion, inclusion, and love and acceptance are for all people. We accept our acceptance that we've always had. Jesus' three stories expose the total fraud of religion. Religion is all about us and behavior change and appeasement. Religion doesn't even know it's lost, so it's built a world around the traditions and doctrines of man and is literally totally lost, separated, based on a wrong mindset. In contrast, the shepherd joins himself to the sheep in the wilderness, puts him around his neck in a loving embrace in spite of its behavior, in spite of its condition. The woman joins the coin to herself, despite it being lost, dirty, and disfigured. The father joins himself to his son. He grabs him, embraces him, hugs him, and kisses him, despite him being lost and dirty and disfigured. The father enjoins himself to each son, even the older son, who had no idea what God, what his father was really like, and chastised him and berated him and criticized him for being so good. But the father joined himself to him, too, and said, Hey, I'm here with you always. Neither one of them knew who they were or who the father was. But once you find out, the result is tremendous joy and a party. you got to know you're not a, quote, sinner by nature. Neither boy was a sinner by nature. Both were always sons. What if you reject him like the older boy did? He stays right there with you. 
The gospel is the good news that God is not outside of us, away from us, not remote, not separated. He's come. Jesus has come. Christ in us in our darkness. And that's where he's happy. That's where he's celebrating. That's where he's full of joy. That's where he's living. There is no more seeking. God has found us and he's in us. We don't ask him to come in to us. He's already there. We open our eyes to see what already is. He's rejoicing. He found us. There's joy in heaven. You know, in the New Testament, the Jews were still afraid to use the correct name, I am Yahweh of God. They wouldn't say that word. And they often changed it to Lord or heaven, as in the kingdom of heaven. But it actually meant I am. Jesus says in this, there's rejoicing in heaven, rejoicing in I am. Heaven is the presence of the Trinity. It's synonymous with light and love and joy and peace and grace and perichoresis. Remember I said we were going to come back to angels? Well, here we are. We're almost done. Religion's concept of angels, it's a figment of religious imagination. As I mentioned before, the word means messenger or agents, like secret agents. We have been in the presence of messengers, messengers sent from God to minister to people in our neighborhood. When you and I help someone else see union, see oneness, what really is, we rejoice. Papa Jesus and the Holy Spirit rejoice. There's joy in the presence of the messengers. We are the messengers. Joy comes when we see somebody's eyes open and when we are ourselves understand and see and when we see them understanding and seeing. God says to the messengers, us, we who are bringing the message of God's wonderful, never-ending, never-failing, unconditional love, light, grace, joy, peace, and goodness to people who've forgotten who God is and who they are, God says we are the messengers. And he says when somebody starts to get the divine revelation that they're not lost, that they're found, when we see that, when God sees that, God says to us, the messengers, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me. And we share the good news. Hey, thanks, everybody. Hope this is encouraging to you. It is to me. Once again, I think I preached myself happy. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.